chapter 3. She cried all the way. Cat and the man looked at the lump of steaming metal in the road. With the edge of a snakeskin shoe, he tipped it to the side and into the ditch. Carl maybe run just fine without it. He gave Cat an oddly shy sideways look. You willing to chance it? You, you can come along. Room enough. The detritus on the front seat took some shifting. Shoes. Plenty of them. All kinds. Wrappers crumpled but still spilling bagel crumbs. A hunk of cheese on top of a pair of threadbare hound stooth pattern trousers. Belt still in the loops. Empty bottles. Three of them in the footwell surrounded by a spiral of sticky spilled beer. An anniversary card stuffed in the seat hinge, part faded by the sun. The painted red roses now a yellow-brown bile. A singing canary bleached almost to oblivion, save the beak and claws. They shifted it all onto the back seat beside the girl. Want some music on, Miselito? Huh? She lowered her eyes, said nothing. He reached under his seat, pulled out a cardboard box full of cassettes. The first he chose had crease tape spooled out of it, tangled and useless. The second he cast an eye over. Songs of loss and heartache. Held it up to the mirror for the girl to see, then slotted it in the machine. The song about loss, heartache... A mariachi guitaron player and his tortilla soup recipe jerked and reeled fast, then jammed and slowed, and Cat couldn't help laughing. She leaned round to share the ridiculous moment with the girl in the back, but she had turned her face to the window. Cat could just see in the breath-misted reflection a look quieted by an ache of misery. Don't have much to say for herself, my little sister, the man said picking up on Kat's queering look. No surprise, suppose, seeing how she's deaf. Stone deaf. Kat was about to ask why the cassette, when he continued, If I show her the title, she recalls it. It plays inside her head, word for word, note for note. Well, so I believe, anyway. No reason to believe otherwise. The car made good headway, through the caustic rain that pockmarked the dust on the hood. The shoeman and cat on speaking. The engine drone. A metronome tick clacking from the windshield wipers. The girl in the back, crying. Something about him, huh? Reckon? I was thinking that. Something creeping me out. I'm not sure I feel okay about this. I'm here. Yeah, but you're not really... In a way. Not if it turns nasty. Another set of eyes and ears I can pick up on things you can't. Like what, huh? Tell me. Like the something that's about him. It's bringing it all back. All what? When they belted me. Oh, shit, not this again. Listen, listen. When they belted me, they recited poetry. Wheel-raising in perfect rhythm and meter. When I do count the clock that tells the time and see the brave day sink in hitty 
as night. That's not so bad. A simple tired get out of our hair beating, iambic beating. Worse, much worse, was the swift, brutal whiskey south spondy thrashings. Oh, dark, dark, dark amid the blaze of noon. Then you're talking blood and bruises, Cat, believe me. And? And I reckon there's something same-like about him. What about her? What about this girl here? Come on, speak. Speak to me. The cassette squealed and complained and tack-tack-tacked before the player eventually stopped. For an age, they ate the miles in silence, until Cat became aware of a tiny rhythmical voice, a voice of childhood and the swing of the cradle, reciting, Pat a cake, pat a cake. She turned to look at the girl. The girl was looking at Cat with comprehending eyes for the first time, as if registering the same surprise at the soft chanting. It was coming from Cat, escaping from her, and now her hands were making tiny clapping motions, barely visible but mirrored by the girl. The driver didn't seem to notice, or didn't seem to care, so the pair of them cranked it up, Pat a cake, baker's man, and soon were picking up the rhythm and the words. So I will master as fast as I can. And the girl was making even more smarting claps on her thigh. And prick it 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 and prick it. Until he stood on the brakes and spun the car round the wrong way, sharing the bolts on another useless metal lump and stalling the engine. Tight knuckles on the steering wheel, head braced against the rest. Eyes closed, he spat the words through his teeth. What game you ladies playing? Nothing but the hiss of the radiator and the alarm call of rattled peeper frogs until the girl sang in a mesmerizing, hurt voice. Prick it, prick it, prick it, and throw it, throw it. Without taking her eyes off the man, still smacking her thigh in a pat-a-cake, tick-clacking, bell-clap rhythm, She stretched between the front seats and laid her chin on Kat's shoulder, her breath softly carrying the words, I ain't his little sister. You would have thought the yellow would have gone by now. Mercy Lynn was studying her fingers. Placard guy didn't look up. He was shaping the letter G with a stiff brush. He always had problems with the letter G, getting it right, needed to focus. Tobacco stains, still here after all this time. Sure, he said. Takes a while. More in a while, heck of a more. He liked the way she talked, the way she used words. That day in the cafe, when he rejoined her at the table... Slater's cardboard bundle behind a chair denied seeing Frankie and tucked into his waffles. He'd listened to Mercy Lynn's words without taking any of them in, just letting her tongue spin its knotless thread around him, submitting for once. You're a rhymer? He asked. Say what? 
I need a rhymer for my words on the signs, make them real special. Sure, maybe, don't see why, don't see why not. Let me see what you do, what's the poop on them boards? Not then, not since, has placard guy shown her what's on his boards. Guards them, folds them inwards, bundle ties with string. No way he's showing her what's on them. Mercy Lynn gives him words. He paints the boards. That's it. Shoeman was under the car, trying to fix something back on by banging it good and hard with the heel of a Chelsea boot. Cat and the girl could feel the thumps coming up through the floor pan and seats. So, who are you? Cat's voice was soft. Not his sister. So, who? She shaped her lips deliberately, but the girl looked nowhere but into Cat's eyes. My name is Ines. You can hear, right? I hear only when I want to hear. And what I want to hear. You know that? Ines shrugged. How come you're in the back of Creepy Shoe Man's car? Ines shrugged again. Through a gap in the rust, the word creepy dropped on Shoe Man under the car with the impact of a pipe wrench. It hurt. No one, as far as he could know, had seen him as creepy before. He knew he wasn't. Couldn't be. He threw the boot aside, relaxed his arms, and let them and his whole body sink flat to the gritty road surface. He closed his eyes. Above the thick smell of old oil beneath him, of earthy grit and bitumen and discarded bucket food. The ticking of hot transmission parts cooling down. A whistling of his quickening breath as his chest tightened. Creepy. He'd always felt so highly regarded, trusted, confided in by the men who stopped at his shoeshine stall. Right below the chandeliers it was. Central concourse of the old rail station. He'd been doing it so long, his rag work and shining and little flourishes of finger wipes round fancy stitching were choreographed to the second. Two minutes and fifteen seconds, a shoeshine would take no more, no less. And all the while, he'd be dispensing pin-sharp responses to the scuff-shoed confessors of peccadillos and bad deals and slander relying on him to polish away their guilt as much as the city shit on their shoes. He'd started to take them away, the brogues, the loafers, the buckles, a repair shop sideline. A corner of his trailer was set up with lasts and stretchers, and a junkyard salvaged contraption with grinding wheels and needles and knives and glue. Soon he had more shoes in there than he could cope with. He'd messed up more than he could fix. Reached the stage where he couldn't show his face at the stall anymore. So he did what any decent shoeman would do. Make a run for it. At least, that's the story he told everyone. In reality, it was himself he couldn't fix. What broke him was having longer, much longer, than the two minutes, fifteen seconds to hold those shoes in his grasp. The shoes told stories he didn't want to know. The swift and clinical encounter at the shoe shine stall had the air of hooker and client about it. 
time enough to enter the other's world for a snatched moment, but no time to probe deeper into the underbelly. The men who he thought he knew unraveled as he pulled their shoes apart and their hide and flayed skin and rotten tongues fell in pieces. Brogue, with white tide line on the shoe, stitching rotten from the rain, soul whirled by deep water. A man who can no longer afford transport home has to walk miles through stinking neighborhoods, no time for kids, wife, skips food, whiskey sick, squabbles, bed, repeat. Elevator shoe, frayed shoelaces, teeth punctures and heel. Dog got those shoes. Tough barking, drooling dog to build the man up even higher. Make him seem even more aggressive. Keep fucking going, you. Staring out strangers who walk through a stinking neighborhood in the rain. Walmart metropolis slip-on Oxford dress shoe. Regular, scored lines on the toes. Been catching something metal in front of him walking down the road. Catching the sharp-edged brake levers on the frame of a pushed wheelchair. Keeps doing it. Keeps ruining his shoes. Another thing to frustrate, to fuel a suppressed temper. To push resentment to the surface till it emerges in the voice, in the eyes. Staring at the back of that head again. Again. In the hands gripping ever tighter on the cold handles for fear they end up around that neck. Again. Brothel creeper, with blood stains inside, soaked in and dried black. And then there was the pair of girls' shoes, ankle straps, high heels, one heel skewed like it caught somewhere, like someone was running and caught it somehow and probably would have fallen. Brought to the stall by the girl's father. Said that's all he had left of her. Shoes found in a storm drain, but... She vanished. Been leading a double life, he said. Don't know how I never saw it. Never had a clue. Said he wanted the shoes. They were her favorites. Wanted them to be as good as new for when she came home. If, he corrected himself. If. Shoe man took those heels back to his place and left them high on a shelf, neatly lined up as if they were an art or an icon. He'd sit and drink late at night and look at those shoes. And wonder. Kept telling the man they were taking longer to fix than most. Could be a while yet. Then one night, long after dark, came a tapping on the window next to the door of his trailer. There was a girl there in the rain, shivering cold in a slip of a dress, wild hair, wild eyes. She'd seen her father take the shoes to the stall been following him. Then the shoe man take them here. She made her mind up after all this time to get them back, seen as they didn't seem to be making their way anywhere soon. It would be a sign for her father, without her having to explain or be sorry or to blame. Tap, tap, tap. Thing is, she turned up at his trailer. Tap, 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 tap. Right when shoe man was in the middle of his breakdown. The shoes had spoken. They'd winkle picker drilled into his brain, stamped and stubbed and kicked until he doubled up, crumpled and screaming, bruising agony.
he flung open the door and yelled for a full minute right in the girl's face. Just the one word, stretched for all that time in a rising pitch, until it had nowhere else to climb and he had no long power to help it further. He was hit and floored by the desperate intake of a slab of outdoor air falling flat on the ground, face first, slipping gently down the incline in the mud. There was a whistling eardrum silence for a moment. Then, escaping at last from inside the trailer where they'd been trapped for hours, rushed the screeches of jammed machinery. Her mangled shoe sewn over again and again and again, the needle ripping and shredding, the heels spinning on a sinew of thread. Gears and cogs and stinking hot rubber belts stuck fast and straining to break free or break in bits. Anything to end the pain. In fact, the word Shoeman had yelled sounded like pain. But the girl couldn't be sure. Word, asked Mercy Lynn. Placard Guy set down his brush and thought, then decided. Pensiveness. You shitting me? You're the wordsmith. That what you called yourself the other day, huh? Wordsmith? What am I supposed to do with pensiveness? Like giving me a hunk of dead fish and saying, Here, this got scales. Play me some notes. He picked up his brush again, ignoring her. What's the context? No response rubbing the leg of a W with a turpentine rag. W's always go wrong. What you trying to say? He echoed her words, slowly, each with equal weight. What you trying to say? Then with heaviness, just trying to prevent something. Prevent the sign becoming death. You know what I mean? Becomes death if it says what's been said before. These are so alive, they're hollering. Don't just read these signs, you hear them. They bust your ears, sear those words in your mind. That's why I don't show them to you. Mercy Lynn was considerate enough to make out she was absorbing his claim. She looked pensive. She was thinking, what a crock of shit. Cat and Inez sat in silence. Shoeman had gone for help, and rather than breathing more easily, the sight of him fading into the dusk left them both stiffened, breathing shallow. The air in the car had thickened, and Cat's tiniest movements prized apart cracks in the quiet to break through a startling sounds, unrecognizable, disturbing. A gust of wind came from the fields. Grit peppered the side windows for a second, a line settling on the lower ledge briefly before dryly weeping onto the ground, surrendering itself to the next gust. Her? What do you think? I don't know. Can't figure it. Remind you of anyone? You know she does, asshole. Me. Reminds me of me. But why? Can't work that out, can you? Maybe. Cat didn't want to stare. Just allowed herself a sly, sidelong glance 
like you would with a wild dog, not wanting to intimidate. The girl's eyes met hers for just a whisper of time as Kat looked away through the steaming glass. Maybe, she thought, maybe she was an outsider too, wherever she came from. Cheeks hard against the railings, iron bar blinkered eyes following the other young ones playing, hoping she might one day understand their secret language. That they disguised as counting songs, but were really aimed at her. Sly, sidelong. Stink! Tots and barbs. Always at a distance. Because she sounded different. Because her clothes smelled of must on a hot day and warm piss on a cold. Her hair jumped with bugs. Her lips were chafed, eyelids dyed, sudden repulsive ticks flicking her cheeks into momentary hateful smiles. She was easy to dislike. Easy to stamp out. A stink bug. Ripe for squashing. You or her? Both. Our stories are the same, Feral. I know. But I shouldn't know, should I? Because way before... Way, way before your time. Way before you appeared. A time when I had another pest in my head. Not a set of ears listening in another fucking voice. Kat cleared a stripe through the window steam with her sleeve. Beyond a dried out ditch, a couple of dozen skinny apple trees had been planted too close together. Their brittle limbs rasping together in the gusts. The apples hung heavily. Dry looking. Many lay in the dirt. Nothing had touched them, though they might have been there for days. Close up, you could see a dimpling of the fruit. An ugly tick, made permanent in their skin. You might miss it or ignore it, then realize too late that inside the bitten apple is rotten, and mealy, and sick. Poison, injected by stink bugs. It's what gives stink bugs... A bad name. You ever seen one? Stink bug? Sure. Ever spoken to one? Can't say so. They listen, you know. Real still, head cocked listening. They got a bad name, but this one understood. True? It's true. Emerging from its hiding place between the fins of an old radiator in Cat's childhood room, the stink bug would climb and settle on top where the paint had peeled, leaving a rusted pit. Once comfortable and at peace, it would stay still. So still that Cat knew it was ready and listening, and that she could confide in it for as long and in as much detail as she wanted. Her confused, questioning words, what if, and fractured explanations of why and how, and tearful murmurings of sorry and sorry again, head cocked, foul unleashings of screamed, pleading denials, still listening, breath-catching, sobbed, self-pitying. One day, 
it voiced its opinion. You know what? It said, You know what? I think you hate yourself. Turning a half circle, it looked straight at her. Let me tell you. I was once the last living thing in a house full of abandoned rooms. Nothing but silence. Apart from my scratching and snickering around among the hundreds of pages from books torn and tossed to the floor, I found nourishment in the glue from the spines. I scraped the words from the parchment and digested them, and get them safe so I can regurgitate them at will. And from the quiet, I can summon the lost echoing noises of their history. Them. The folks who fled the place, whose a disobedient child had been carried off by the wind. Both screams and body drowned. Listen. There followed a wailing so tiny that it was as if the sound came from beneath a mountain of sand. But it was as clear and chilling as the cry of someone within your grasp. A cry formed of both a hoarse echoing gale and screech of gulls in a sea cavern. Painful, receding, slipping from your grasp, fingertips slipping and loosening and falling away. That's the sound of people who hate themselves 